Hello. Hi. It's Infinite Cast. <laughs> Your podcast. We're back again. Watching some ladies tennis and they're playing on a pink court. Yeah, do they do they make the men play on that or is the special ladies I, I, style? I mean it's a blue court, a blue uh background floor with but a the pink court itself is pink. It's kind of cute. It is cute. It's a little uh, it's like an uwu uh yeah, uwu uh, tennis the, with the big eyes and the fingers pointing at each other emoji yeah. tennis. Uh 80 pages left. So, so, some some like it. Yeah. We're in the end game now. Folks, <laughs> uh my Let's... buddy Eric Thurm, shout out Eric Thurm. Um you know, was we were texting about we were texting about Infinite Just Casting because uh, alert, uh, Japanese Breakfast on Twitter. Confirmed Infinite Jest fan. Yes. Or at least reader. Reader, yes. Uh, was saying uh, that Dave Bautista should play Don Gately. Great which, casting. Great casting. I mean, here's the thing. there We, we are in a uh, kind of glory day of big guys. In, we are. Uh, there, there are a lot of them. Like any of those wrestler guys could be could be a passable John Gately. Mm -hmm. John Cena, Dave Bautista, not The Rock. He's uh The thing is they're all too old. Well, all John Gately's 28. They could they'd have to smooth him out. It's the guy from the new Reacher series. I yeah. think that that's the move. Yeah, yeah. And he has he has the the like quiet soulfulness mm -hmm. of 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 Gately, it's I true. think. Uh, I just love that uh the Michelle Zahner is a is an IJ reader. Yeah. Uh, the the Rock in his Southland Tales era could have done it, but sure. uh, but he is far 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 from Southland Tales now. He can he can no longer play characters. He can only play the Rock, the Rock style individuals, which is a shame because I enjoyed when the Rock could actually play characters. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I brought up, uh. Eric Thurm for was, you know, I mentioned that we were in the last 80 pages and he was like, awesome. I'm sure you're, I, I hope you're looking forward to a, a s satisfying, uh, and you know, um, thread wrapping conclusion yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> to the Which book. Which to that I say, yes, it is. Um, you just have to adjust your, your definition of satisfaction. Well, look, I, I feel like my expectations have been very, have been appropriately tempered for this. Hey babe. Dissatisfaction is satisfaction. Yes, it is. It's the great the great uh, discontent. Uh and also as well, somebody recommended that as soon as we are done reading it, we go back and reread the first chapter. Chapter, which again. I think is a great idea. Yeah. Maybe maybe that will be our final reading, is yeah. rereading the first chapter. Yeah. Anyway, you want to get into it for today? Please. All right, let's do it. Uh, he hadn't in the beginning burgled Gately as a full-time drug addict, though he did sometimes promote small valuables from the apartments of the strung-out nurses he exed and copped samples from. After promote. the I, li I yeah. like that use of that verb. After the bailout from school, Gately worked full-time for a time for a North Shore bookmaker. A guy... Is that... Wait, is that the... Is that a bookie that's short bookmaker. for bookmaker? Yes. I'm an idiot. I don't gamble. A guy that also owns several titty clubs down Route <laughs> 1 in Saugus, Whitey Sorkin, that had sort of casually befriended him when Gately was still playing high-profile ball. His professional association with Whitey Sorkin continued part-time even after Gately discovered his real B&E vocation, though he tended more and more toward less taxing, nonviolent crime. But from like age 18 to 23... Gately and the prenominant Gene Fackelman. Prenominant. Prenominant. Uh, a towering, slope-shouldered, wide-hipped, prematurely pot-bellied, 
oddly preopistic and congenitally high-strung dilated addict. Oh, sorry. Dilated? Dilated. Dilated. Uh, addict with a walrusy mustache that seemed to have a nervous seemed to have a nervous life of its own. These two served as like Whitey Sorkin's operatives in the field, taking bets and phoning them into Saugus, delivering winnings and collecting debts. It was never clear to Gately why Whitey Sorkin was called Whitey because he spent a huge amount of time under ultraviolet lamps as part of an esoteric cluster headache treatment regimen and so was the constant shiny color of a sort of like dark soap with almost the same color and coin of the realm classic profile as the cheery young Pakistani MD who told Gately at Our Lady of Salas Hospital in Beverly how tedibly soddy he was that Mrs. G's cirrhosis and cirrhotic stroke had left her at roughly the neurologic level of a Brussels sprout and then given him public transportation directions to the Point Shirley LTI. Eugene Fax Fackelman, uh, who dropped out of the Lynn, Massachusetts educational system at like 10, had met Whitey Sorkin through the same eczematic, gamble-happy pharmacist assistant Gately had first met Sorkin through. Gately was now no longer called Bimmy or Doshka. He was Don now, nicknameless, sometimes Donnie. Sorkin referred to Gately and Fackelman as his twin towers. They were more or less Sorkin's paid muscle, except not in any sort of way uh, important crime figures paid muscle is portrayed in popular entertainment. They didn't stand impassively flanking Sorkin at crime figure meetings or light his cigar or call him boss or anything. They weren't his bodyguards. In fact, they weren't physically around him that much. They usually dealt with Sorkin and his Saugus office and secretary via beepers and cellular phones, which takes us to EndNote 367. Uh, though they did, uh, just as, as in depictions of organized crime and popular entertainment, often change the cell phones they used to avoid potential taps or pen registers. Sorkin, sorry, I'm turning the page. I'm wrangling too much shit. Oh my God. Oh, oh my God. Last two pages of uh, EndNotes. Uh, buying new units and numbers, Gately more often borrowing student RNs, cellulars, and then returning them after a few days. <laughs> One of Gately's biggest challenges in this career was remembering all the different fucking phone numbers and addresses of luxury apartments of the week when he was strafed on Bam Bams just about all the time. Uh, he's he's on the wire. Totally. Uh, I want to I-, I want to let everyone know that we back up. Yes. <laughs> We sometimes you we need to watch the wire. I know. It's a Got good show. Watch the wire. Uh, you know, I I, I I've graduated from my hagiographic uh, dis- description of it from college, uh, and now just merely say it's a great. Oh fuck. Okay. What? what? I uh, we're watching this tennis game. Yeah. Victoria Azrazenka. Yes. She has a white. Uh, it, 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 like the the person that she's playing yes. has an American flag in yes. her logo, and she just has a white square. Do you think that it's because she's Russian, and there's some kind of international situation in which they are not Maybe. recognizing the Russian flag Maybe. in this tennis match? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'll I'll have to look into it. Um, yeah, the yes, like is it has Russia been disqualified? Like I've, in the last Olympics, they didn't get they to, didn't play. I forget what under the, like num- the, the like the non non national. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. The the void in which yes. a nation once lived, <laughs> yes. if they had behaved a little better. Yes, the, the 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 bad badly behaved nation Russia. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yes, seriously. All right. Uh, where am I? 
uh, cellular phones. And while they did collect debts for Sorkin, including bad debts, especially Gately, it's not like Gately went around breaking debtors' kneecaps. Even the threat of coercive violence was pretty rare. Partly, Gately and Falkman's sheer size was enough to keep delinquencies from getting out of hand. And partly, it was that everybody involved usually knew each other. Sorkin, his betters and debtors, Gately and Falkman, other drug addicts who sometimes bet or more often get dealt with Gately and Falkman for guys that did. Even the North Shore finest vice guys, many of whom also sometimes bet with Sorkin because he gave the finest special civil servant reductions on Vigorish. <laughs> it was all like this community. <laughs> Usually Gately's job on bad debts or delinquent Vig was to go around to the debtor at whatever bar the guy watched satellite sports at and just inform him that the debt was threatening to get out of hand, making the debt itself seem like the delinquent party and that Whitey was concerned about it and work out some arrangement uh, or payment plan with the guy. Then the young Gately would go into the bar's head and cell phone Sorkin and get his okay on whatever arrangement they'd worked out. Gately was laid back and affable and never had a hard word for anybody, hardly. Nor did Whitey Sorkin. A lot of his betters were old and steady customers and lines of credit went with the territory. Most of the rare debt trouble that called for size and coercion involved guys with a gambling problem, kind of pathetic, furtive guys addicted to the rush of the bet who got themselves in a hole and then tried suicidally to bet their way out of the hole and who'd bet with several bookies at once and who'd lie and agree to payment arrangements they had no intention of sticking to, suicidally betting they could keep all their debts in the air until they could square themselves with the major long-shot score they were always sure was around the corner. We really should watch Uncut Gems later tonight. Well, five, five-way parlay. Yes, exactly. Uh, these types were painful because usually Gately knew the debtors and they'd exploit his knowing them and beg and weep and tug at both Gately's and Whitey Sorkin's heartstrings with tales of loved ones and wasting illnesses. They'd sit there and look into Gately's eyes and lie and believe their own lies. And Gately would have to call in the debtors' lies and sob stories and get Sorkin's explicit decision on if to believe them and what to do. That's the dumbest bet I ever heard. Mm-hmm. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> These types were Gately's first exposure to the concept of real addiction and what it can turn someone into. He hadn't yet connected the concept to drugs, really, except cokeheads and hardcore needle jockeys, who at that point all seemed to him just as furtive and pathetic as the gambling addicts in their own way. These sob story, one more chance types were also the t- uh, the types that put Whitey Sorkin through hell in terms of emotionally, causing Whitey, <laughs> <laughs> causing Whitey cluster headaches and terrible craniofacial neuralgia. And at a certain point, Sorkin used to start adding to the delinquent skeet, the vig, and the interest extra charges for his own required intake of Caffergot, uh, which takes us to end note 368. Simitidine, Smith Klein Beach and Pharmaceuticals, 800 milligram spantules for generalized craniovascular woe, derived kind of interestingly from the same ergot rye mold as LSD. Ergot. Ergot? Uh, yes, that's what people used to get high on. Uh, accidentally in the Middle Ages. It's no a, shit. It's a bread mold that is a psychedelic. And they would see God and be like, yeah, God the- has a message for you. And everyone's like, shut up. And uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then do the St. Vitus dance and stuff like that. Listen, uh, you familiar uh, with the St. Vitus dance? What is it? Is it throwing your ass in a circle? Yes, basically. It, uh, a phenomenon of, of spontaneous, frantic dancing uh, that would uh, often come in in clutches as a uh a sudden epidemic like it like a whole village would get saint vitus dance and, and like be uh ecstatically uh because all their bread went bad uh 
I mean, that's one of the theories about it. But I think that all these things are, uh, you know, it's a combination of maybe somebody got uh, hopped up on the ergot uh, and then was social was doing this and then it gave people social permission to be weird be wacky yeah that's uh there was just a, a issue in the <laughs> me, same me and the bitch i pulled by being gone off that ergot gone off that ergot um there was a town the t- the same town where jello was invented and produced <laughs> for a long time that in um i think it was the early 2010s late aughts um a bunch of girls started basically like spasming yes do you remember this I w- and i forget the exact word for it but it is like it's like a social socially transmitted yes. behavioral disease that is like kind of inexplicable other than it you know it just attracts these things are fascinating uh, uh see also now we're getting way off topic but, that, but that's fine, fine. uh <laughs> are, are you familiar with the idea of penis panics maybe that there have been many many recognizable or documented uh it, panics social mm-hmm. panics in his, history that are basically like a group of men will become convinced that someone or something or some magical force is coming to like remove or reduce the size of their penises. Okay, yeah. Uh, and it, it, will, it would be like a contagional social panic. Yeah. Be, uh, and like, you know, almost like a witch panic or something of, of people being like, being like, are, they're <sighs> coming it. to take our penises. They're coming, they're coming for your penises. They're coming for your dicks. Yeah. Shit. Uh, Freak me out if I had one. I guess. I mean, I don't know. My it's dick, like pre, not yours. A pre, uh, you know, pre mass media. I guess yeah. the only thing you can do is just like sit around Social with your homies contagion. and get panicked about your your dicks. Hey, gotta pass the time some, somehow. <laughs> Life is long. You know, sitting around the campfire, being like, "But what if they did come? What if they cut, got? cut off our dicks? Shut, shut up, Henry. <laughs> don't remind me. But what if they did? I had really bad dreams last time we talked about this. But shut they, up. They could. <laughs> the guys from the other village are gonna come. What if They're they did come, come and just cut dicks. off our dicks? Penis panic. Penis panic. Good punk band name. Yes. Someone take it, please. Uh, okay, sorry. Uh, extra charges for his own required intake of Kaffergott, uh, Spansuels, and UV light and visits to Enfield MA's National Craniofacial Pain Foundation. Which we have heard before, right? Because that I believe there were advertisements for it that were paintings of people in serious pain. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It was it was in the section about um, advertising and, and the fall of televised yes. advertising in um, the post-Onan uh, world. The use of Gately and Fackelman's rump roast size fists in actual hands-on coercion got called for only when a compulsive debtor's lies and hole got serious enough that Sorkin became willing to forego the guy's patronage in the future. At this sort of point, Whitey Sorkin's business objective became to somehow induce the addicted debtor to cover his debts to Sorkin before the debtor covered his debts to any other of the books he was into, which meant for Sorkin that he had to vividly demonstrate to the debtor that Sorkin's was the least pleasant hole to be in and the most important one to get out of. Enter the Twin Towers. The violence was to be tightly controlled and gradually progressive in like stages. The first round of incentivizing hose work, a light beating, (laughs) maybe a broken digit or two, usually fell to Gene Fackelman, not only because he was the naturally crueler of the Twin Towers and rather liked putting a digit in a car door, but also because he had a controlled restraint Gately lacked. Sorkin found that once Gately got started in physically on somebody, it was like something ferocious and uncontrolled on a slope inside the big kid got dislodged and started to roll on its own. And sometimes Gately wouldn't be able to stop himself before the debtor was reduced to a condition where he wasn't even going to be able to raise his head, much less funds, at which point not only did Sorkin have to write off the debt, but the big kid Donnie'd get so guilty and remorseful, he'd triple his drug intake and be no use to fucking nobody for a week. 
Sorkin learned how to use his towers to maximize their strengths. We assume that this guy is named after Whitey Bulger, right? Yeah. Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Whitey <laughs> Bulger. Sorkin and Whitey Bulger. Fackelman got the first round light work for coercive collections, but Gately was better than Fax at negotiating arrangements with guys, so it never had to come to violence. And there were certain harder cases, cases that laid Sorkin out in bed with craniofacial stress for days <laughs> at a time because they were hard case addicts that were either so far gone or so deep in so many holes that Fackelman's light cruelty didn't resolve the situation. At an extreme point with some of these cases, Sorkin got to a point where he was willing to forego not only the debtor's future patronage, but also the remittance due. At a certain point, the goal was to minimize future other hard cases by making it clear that W. Sorkin was one book you couldn't just flagrantly stay in the hole with and lie to for month after month without having your map seriously fucking reconfigured. Here again, in this type case... Gately's internal out-of-control slope of ferocity was superior superior to Fackelman's easy but ultimately shallow sadism, which takes us to end night 369 for some reason. For the two maps Sorkin had to have eliminated altogether during this period, it's maybe worth observing that he eschewed both towers and instead used the thuggish ex-Quebecer muscle boys, Demont and Poingrave, uh, <laughs> who had no real loyalties or membership in any community, and hired themselves out as enforcers for books and high-interest lenders all up and down both shores. Gately did, as a coercive collector, demap one person, but it was essentially an accident. The debtor had been blonde and drinking Heineken's, and then when things got physical, he'd squirted Gately in the face with mace, and a red curtain of rage had descended over Gately's sight, and when he'd come back to himself, the debtor's head was turned 180 degrees around on his neck and had the little mace can all the way up one nostril, and it was the most professionally horrified Gately had ever been up until the thing with the suffocated Canadian P.I which anyway occurred much later and when Gately was way more non-violence prone. Uh, that's a that's a bit of a Brock Samson moment from Gately there, yeah. you know, just yeah. bl- blind rage just with phenomenal, phenomenal violence. Yeah, <laughs> right. God, turning his head completely around. Yeah. Back to the text. W. Sorkin, like most psychosomatic level neurotics, (laughs) was spiteful to his enemies and overgenerous to his friends. Gately and Fackelman each received 5% vig on the 10% vigorish Sorkin took on every bet. Vigorish? Is that what vig stands for? Apparently, yeah. We'll have to get it. I don't know what the etymology of vigorish is. Yeah. I'm not a betting girl. I know. Of all the addictions, gambling is the one that makes the least sense to me. At least all the other things feel good. Gambling is too strange. If I'm going to spend a lot of money, I want want drugs. Yes, you get drugs that just make you feel good (laughs) as opposed to like Ga- like gambling which or is I want, like, like stress a new, like a like new jacket for stress no i want like a like a new clothing or yeah. a new record or d- drugs i mean i guess i i i get the i get the temptation of it but having yeah. it being a full-blown addiction which i understand understand obviously is yeah addiction as if it was a chemical addiction that is like I, under, I understand, and I like the, you know, I, the swagger of betting, you know, at like tables or something yeah. is interesting to me. You know, you're you're dealing with a, a, a dealer or whatever, yeah. and that that's kind of cool. No, I can get that it is fun. Yeah. It, we, it just doesn't light up my, that, that pleasure yeah. center of my brain yeah. at all. All I feel is um, regretful. Yes. Yeah. You want, you got a good slot machine. You got like 80 bucks off a slot machine. I'm pretty good on slot, yeah. the slots. You are because you bet, you bet big. I go in, drop like a 50 or a hundo on a slot. 
run it down till it ends. Mad Max and Fury Road the, slot. Yeah, I got like um, up 80 or something on the Mad Max Fury Road mm-hmm. slot in Atlantic City. You got to find a really entertaining slot thing, and usually they're very uh, they're coveted and, mm. and and well occupied. Right. Someday I will work up the courage to actually play uh, uh, blackjack. Yeah. Uh, because that is the the actual game that you can like actually play with skill at mm-hmm. a casino. I'm a bingo girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kino. Uh, they each received 5% VIG on the 10% Vigorish. Sorkin took on every bet, and Sorkin made over $200,000 worth of book all over the North Shore on a week's pro ball alone, which for most diplomaless young Americans, 1,000 plus uh, per pre-millennial week, would have been a very handsome living, but for the Twin Towers' rigid physical scheduling of narcotics needs was not even 60% enough weekly. Gately and Fackelman moonlighted, and for a while separately, Fackelman sidelined with IDs and creative personal checking, Gately working freelance security for large card games and small drug deliveries. But even before they were a real crew, they copped as a unit, as in together, plus once in a blue in a moon with poor old V. Nucci, for whom Gately also occasionally held the rope on late-night Osco and Rite Aid skylight missions, his entree to formal burglary proper. The fact that Dick Gately was devoted to Percocets and Bam Bams and Fackelman to Delauded allowed them a high level of trust with each other's stashes. <laughs> Gately would do blues, which had to be injected, only when no oral narcs were to be got, and he was face-to-face with early withdrawal. Gately feared and despised needles and was terrified of the virus, which in those days was laying out needle jockeys left and right. Falcomen would cook up for Gately and tie him off and let Gately watch closely as he took the plastic wrap off a mint new syringe and needle cartridge Falcomen could get with a fake Medicaid Iletin ID, which takes us to end note 370. (laughs) Purified pork insulin in a zinc suspension. (laughs) Lily Pharmaceuticals. Back to the text. Uh, For diabetes mellitus. The worst thing about Delauded for Gately was that the hydromorphones transit across the blood-brain barrier created a terrible five-second mnemonic hallucination where he was a gargantuan toddler (laughs) in an XXL Fisher-Price crib in a sandy field under a storm-cloudy sky that bulged and receded like a big gray lung. Hey, giant toddlers. Big baby. Fackelman would loosen the belt and stand and watch Gately's eyes roll up as he broke a malarial sweat (laughs) and stared up at the delusion's respiritic sky while his huge hands throttled in the air in front of him just like a toddler shakes at the bars of his crib. (laughs) Then after five or so seconds, the Delauded would cross over and kick and the sky stopped breathing and turned blue. A Delauded nod made Gately mute and sodden for three hours. Besides the maddening itch behind the eyes, Fackelman didn't like oral narcotics because they said they, he said they gave him terrible sugar cravings that his huge, soft, slumped weight wouldn't tolerate indulging. Not exactly the swiftest ship in Her Majesty's fleet in terms of, like, upstairs. Fackelman was resistant to Gately's pointing out that the Delauded also gave the fax man terrible sugar cravings, as did actually just about everything. <laughs> the plain truth was that Fackelman just really liked Delauded. <laughs> then good old Trent Kite got the administrative shoe from Salem State, who informed him that he'd never study in the industry again, and Gately brought Kite into the crew, and Kite threw together some old-time Quovatis for a small crew-warming party. And Falcomen introduced Kite to pharmaceutical-grade Delauded, and Kite found a new friend for life, he said. And Kite and Falcomen swiftly fell into the ID 
credit history and furnished luxury apartment scam, mm. in which by this time Gately involved himself pretty much only as a hobby, preferring bold nighttime merchandise promotion to fraud, which fraud tended to involve meeting the people you stole from, which Gately found slimy and kind of awkward. <laughs> Gately lay I, I like this distinction of him as kind of like a good like a good bad guy of being like, listen, I'm just here to I'm not doing robberies, I'm doing burglaries. I'm yes. slipping in and out. Yes. Uh, I, don't I don't want to see talk you. To I don't want to talk to you. And hey He's an introvert. He is he is an introvert. He's got the the NJ, the NJ Delauded stare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and hey, what happens to him when he does have to meet uh one of the guys that he burgles he from? He kills him yes, by accident. By accident. Gately lay in the trauma ward. Because he has a stuffed nose. That's so long ago. When did we read that segment? Like Like, 2020? Yeah. (laughs) We hadn't gotten vaccinated yet, probably. Gately lay in the trauma ward in terrific infected pain, trying to abide between cravings for relief by remembering a blinding white afternoon just after Xmas when Fackelman and Kite were off disposing of some of a furnished apartment's furnishings and Gately was killing time in the apartment, laminating some false Massachusetts driver's licenses rush ordered by Rich Phillips Andover Academy kids. Nice. Takes us to Endnote 371, an elite private high school up near the Methuen Salient. Oh, yes. We are Shout familiar, we are out. familiar. Phillips, Phillips Andover. Andover. Yes. Uh, definitely. Met an Andover kid? I went to college with uh, one. I don't believe he finished school because he was way more interested in doing drugs. Every <laughs> Funny how that happened. Kid I've ever met who went to one of those send away fancy schools has been one of the most fucked up kids I've ever met. Isn't for uh, Ben went to a boarding school, but his father taught there, so that's kind of like the workaround. Is a uh, Ben who Perky? Oh, I think Shout that's out ben right. Perky. Yeah, Lo- love him. I'm sure he would be happy for us to, to <laughs> <laughs> chat chat out his uh... boarding school. Seems mostly like a bad idea. <laughs> yes. Like I understand why logistically it makes sense, yes. but it basically just seems like a place for rich parents to send kids like to do away drugs, basically <laughs> and no matter how many rules they have at those boarding schools yes. it, te- it almost teaches you to get good at hiding hiding your pathologies yes interacting with with people who have like the the, the collection of access that yeah. the those kinds of kids have is just like I mean, not hey, good to collect together eta is a boarding school it is it, and yes it, it is you know mm-hmm. it, s- sending kids away from their parents at a time in adolescence when I do kind of think you still need to be directly yes. parented in some way. Just seems like a bad idea. I do think that ultimately the most healthy way to uh, teach children is pub- is just good old fashioned public, public school. school brought like uh, drawn from your community. Like just people who live kind of near you. <laughs> I, I realize that a good deal of uh, my good behavior in adolescence uh, could probably actually be attributed to the fact that my parents insisted on eating dinner together every yes. night. Uh, what what a privilege. What a luxury. Yes. Uh, Whatever you're doing, you have to be there for 30 minutes at 6 o'clock or and if, 6.30. And if you're doing anything weird, uh, your parents are going to find out in your general attitude at the dinner table. Yes, exactly. Anyway, uh uh, ordered by Rich Phillips and over Academy Kids for what turned out to be the last New Year's Eve of unsubsidized time. He'd been standing at an ironing board in the by now pretty much unfurnished apartment, ironing laminates onto the fake licenses, watching good old Boston U play Clemson in the kennel ration Magnavox Kemper Insurance Forsythia Bowl <laughs> on a cumbersome first-generation interlace HD, HDV 
hanging on the bare wall. The high def viewer always now the last luxury furnishing to be fenced. Uh, Rip Div Foster Wallace, you would have loved the crypto.com arena. Oh my God. The winter daylight through the penthouse windows was dazzling and fell across the viewer's big flat screen and made the players look bleached and ghostly. Through the windows, off in the distance, was the Atlantic O, gray and dull with salt. <laughs> Sorry, not the Atlantic O. The, B- the BU punter was a hometown Boston kid. The announcers kept inserting was a walk-on and an inspirational story that had never played a major sport until college and was now already one of the finest punt specialists in NCAA history and had the potential to be a lock for pretty much limitless pro a pretty much limitless pro ball career if he bore down and kept his eye on the carrot. The BU punter was two years younger than Don Gately. Gately's big digits could barely fit around the iron's easy grip handle, and stooping over the ironing board made the small of his back ache, and he hadn't eaten anything except deep-fried stuff out of shiny plastic packaging for like a week, and the stink of the plastic laminates under the iron stunk wicked bad, and his big square face sagged lower and lower as he stared at the punter's ghostly image until he found himself starting to cry like a babe. It came out of an emotional nowheres all of a sudden, and he... (laughs) to make me cry and he found himself blubbering at the loss of organized ball his one uh, gift and other love his own stupidity and lack of discipline that blasted cock-sucking Ethan from his mom's cirrhosis and vegetableization and his failure after four years ever yet uh, uh, ever yet to visit feeling suddenly lower than bottom feeder shit standing over hot laminates and Polaroid squares and little stick-on DMV letters for rich blonde male boys in the blazing winter light blubbering amid fraudulent stink and tear steam. It was two days later he got pinched for assaulting one bouncer with the unconscious body of another bouncer <laughs> in Danvers, Massachusetts. And three months after that, he went to Bolerica Minimum. That's the end of that um, thing. How are we doing on time? Uh, we're about 27 minutes. I mean, we've... we've Could we crush maybe like two more pages just to like keep mowing down some, some page numbers? Uh, yeah, yeah, take us, take us. What's what's after this? You know, more. <laughs> <laughs> well, one whole paragraph. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever you, whatever you want to do. Just here's one little paragraph. Entrepot bound, twitchy eyed, and checking both sides besi- behind him as he comes, rounding the curve of subdormitory B's hall with his stick and little solid frustum shaped stool. Michael Pemulus sees at least eight panels of the drop ceiling have somehow fallen out of their aluminum struts and are on the floor. Some broken in that some broken in that incomplete hingy way, uh, stuff with fabric content gets broken, including the relevant panel. No old sneaker is in evidence on the floor as he clears the panels to plant the stool, his incredibly potent Bentley Phelps pen light in his teeth, looking up into the darkness of the struts' lattice. Okay, so Pemulus is looking for something in the drop ceiling. Yes. All right, yeah, do, do like a page and a half more, Great. two pages more. Given the Faxter's historical proclavity <laughs> for fraudulent scams, it was amazing to Gately that he didn't ever know how Fackelman had been fraudulently getting over on Whitey Sorkin in all kinds of little ways, uh, almost from the start, and didn't find it out until no- the not-at-all-small scam with 80s Bill and 60s Bob, which took place during the three months Gately was out on bail, Sorkin had generously put up. 
By this time, Gately had fallen in with two lesbian pharmaceutical cocaine addicts he'd met at the gym doing upside-down sit-ups from the chin-up bar. The lesbians, not Gately, who was strictly from bench, curl, and squat. <laughs> These vigorous girls ran a rather intriguing house-cleaning and key-copying and burglary operation, burglary operation in Peabody and Wakefield. And Gately had begun working heavy merchandise lifting uh, and 4 by 4 vehicle promotion for them. Serious, full-time burglary. As his taste for even the threat of, of violence diminished on account of remorse at the bouncer damage he'd inflicted in that Danvers bar after just seven Heffenreffers and an innocent comment about the BSHS's Minutemen's inferiority to the Danvers HS Rough Riders. Ann Gately left more and more of Sorkin's transfer and collection work to Fackelman, who by this time had gotten back into oral narcotics out of virus fears and stopped resisting the sugar cravings he associated with oral narcs and gotten so fat and soft his shirt front looked like an accordion when he sat down to eat peanut M&Ms and nod. And now also to a bad news uh, new guy Sorkin had lately befriended and put to work, a fuchsia-haired Harvard Square punk-type kid with a build like a stump and round, black, unblinking eyes, an old-fashioned street-junk needle jockey that went by the moniker Bobby C or just C. Remember him? No. He, I believe he was the one who got the hot shot. Okay. Uh, at the beginning um, with um, yours truly and uh, poor Tony. Okay. I think he, he ate C. shit uh, out next to the dumpster. Uh, an old school punk. An old school punk. Oh, he act <laughs> and liked to hurt people. The only IV heroin addict Gately come across that actually preferred violence with no lips at all and purple hair and three great towering spikes and little bare patches in the hair on his forearms from constantly testing the edge on his boot knife and a leather jacket with way more zippers than anybody could need <laughs> and a pre-electric earring that hung way down and was a roaring skull in gold plate flames. Gene Fackelman had, it turns out, for years been getting fraudulently over on Whitey Sorkin's bookmaking operation in all sorts of little ways that Gately and Kite, according to Kite, hadn't known about. Usually it was something like facts taking long-shot action from marginal bettors not well-known to Sorkin and not phoning the action in to Sorkin's secretary, and then when the long-shot lost, collecting the skeet plus vig, which takes us to endnote 372... Surely skeet and vig, meaning debt and bookmakers automatic percentage, usually 10% subtracted from winnings or added to skeet, are not just Metro Boston terms. Back to the text. Uh, All this stuff is, too, it's too much math for crime I know, for me. Me too. Uh, from, from the better and rat holing it all for himself. It had seemed to Gately, after he found out about it, a suicidal tape type risk, since if any of these long shots ever actually won, Fackelman would be responsible for giving the better his winnings from Whitey, meaning it would, <laughs> Whitey in quotation marks, meaning it would be Sorkin that would hear the complaint if Fackelman didn't come up with the money on his own and get it to the better. And the whole crew's pharmacological expenses meant they always existed on the absolutist margins of liquidity. At least that's what Gately and Kite, according to Kite, had always thought. It wasn't until Fackelman's map had been presumably eliminated for keeps and Kite had returned from his long hi hiatus and Gately and Kite were getting the late Fackelman's stuff 
uh, together to divvy up valuables and dump the rest. And Gately found, taped to the underside of Fackelman's porn cartridge storage case, <laughs> over $22,000 in mint crisp Onan currency. Not until then that Gately realized that Fackelman had, through iron will, kept unspent an emergency reserve skeet payment stake for just such a worst-case possibility. Gately uh, split this found Fackelman money with Trent Kite, then but went and turned his half of it into Sorkin, claiming it was all they'd found. It wasn't that he'd forked his half over to Sorkin out of any kind of fear. Sorkin would have regretfully had the sea kid and his nuck slash fag crew demap him, Gately too, along with Fackelman if he'd thought Gately had been part of Fax's scam. But out of guilt over having been clueless about his own fellow Twin Tower screwing Sorkin after Sorkin had been so neurasthenically overgenerous to them both, and because Fackelman's betrayal had ended up so hurting Sorkin and causing him so much psychosomatic grief that he'd spent a whole week in bed in Saugus in the dark with Lone Ranger-type sleep shades on, drinking VO and Kaffergott and clutching his traumatized cranium and face, feeling betrayed and abandoned, he'd said, his whole faith in the human creature shaken. He'd wept to Gately over the cellular phone <laughs> after it all came out. Ultimately, Gately uh, gave Sorkin his half of Fackelman's secret money, mostly to try and cheer Sorkin up, <laughs> let him know somebody cared. He also did it for Fackelman's memory, which he was mourning Fax's gruesome death, even at the same time he cursed him for a liar and rat punk. It was a time of moral confusion for Don G, and his half of the post-mortem money seemed like the best he could do in terms of, like, a gesture. He didn't rat out that Kite had a whole other half, which Kite spent his half of the money on Grateful Dead bootlegs and a portable semiconductor refrigeration <laughs> unit for his DEC 2100's motherboard that upped his processing capacity to 32 MBs2 of RAM, roughly the same as an interlaced disseminator substation or an NNE Bell cellular switch net though it wasn't two months before he'd pawned the DEC and put it in his arm and it had become such a steeply downhill type dilated, uh, dilated attic, sorry, I keep fucking up the pronunciation, dilated attic that when he signed on as Gately's new trusted associate for B&Es after Gately got out of Balerica, the once mighty kite wasn't even able to dicky an alarm or shunt a meter and Gately found himself the brains of the team, which it was a mark of his own high angle decline that this fact didn't make him more nervous. <laughs> let's stop there. All right, let's up there oh boy oh boy what's happening <laughs> so this is all basically going to be the lead up to the 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 canadian job right yeah this is i think it, it like marked him as from like 18 to 23 yeah this is the whole story of gately up until he does the uh the canadian ambassador yeah and even what is, is that uh, refresh my memory if you can is that his last job or does he um, get caught for something else. I mean, you, go you away. You are the one who remembers out. any. Uh, I, my <laughs> my understanding, if I'm to say from here, is that that is at least the thing that he uh, he or did he even get pinched for that? Because I feel like that's the thing that's like looming over uh, him is being like, oh boy, if they figure out that I like did that robbery and killed that guy, yeah, I'm, like, I'm in real trouble. No, he did. Yeah, he never got booked for a big. As we remember, um, rather than staying with the Boston PD, it got swept up into Office of Unspecified Services because it was a, a Canadian terrorist uh, mm -hmm. and the you know part of the entertainment investigation. Yes. Um. So that's where that got left. Jesus Christ! What what was the thing that did he he went to? I want to say he went to jail for something else, kicked in jail, and then uh, went to. Ennett house yes but <laughs> but i forget what the uh, i should know this <laughs> you, yeah uh, you've only read this book three times now. yeah 
Jesus. Well, I'll well, look whatever. into it's, it or someone just, can DM me. It's all just vibes. It's all just vibes at this we, point. We get, we get the gist. All you, the need to, gist. all you need to know is that even though do, doing some horrible stuff, it certainly doesn't stop him until he's finally ready to come in yes. and, uh, you know, um, uh, g- g- give it up. Yeah, the crime is just in service of the addictions. But it is it is a very sweet characteriza- characterization that he like feels bad for his crime boss. Yes, he wants to, also, he wants to cheer him up. But I also love the uh, I, that's a very I feel like realistic, not realistic, but but uh, you know, good stereotypical uh, depiction of a crime boss who's like in charge of a criminal network, but also being like, oh, everybody is. They're so cruel to me all right. the time. I've, oh, how could people? Oh, oh my head! I do, all I do is good for people, and all these, all of my guys—they're just stabbing me. me in the back. They stabbed me in the back. I've lost faith in humanity now. I'm like now a human creature. Um. So the according to litcharts.com, the reason Gately comes in is to avoid getting pinched for that Duplessis. Uh, okay deal so it's kind of like a it goes from like a selfish thing to you know he finally he get he he gets it mm-hmm. oh don coro k-o-r-o a genital related neuroses coro is a culture bound delusion disorder in which individuals have an overpowering belief that their sex organs are retracting and will disappear despite the lack of any long-standing change to the actual genitals uh, Vigorish from the Russian Vigorish, uh, but it was probably then ported into Yiddish, meaning gain or winnings. Yes. Vigorish. <laughs> <laughs> v- <laughs> uh, I am glad that in my entire life I will never have to deal with or know about a vig. No thanks, pal. Yes, I can. I can skip over that. Yeah. If I'm ever, if somebody is ever seriously saying the word "vig" to me, I'm like, I need to pull up from whatever. Whatever doing. you're doing. Well, it's funny that I mean, it seems like something much must have gotten past that. Like sports betting is now, at least in New York, it's like it's doable. Oh yeah, no, it's it's not only it's not illegal. It's not right? only illegal. It's a huge fucking business. Yeah. Oh man. What else? I don't know. Don. Um, I mean, I mean fa- fa- so Fackelman, he's dead. Yes. And it's it's Do- brutal. Are we, we are know. we told how Fackelman dies? Yes, we are. Later? Later. Okay. Um, I, 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 at this point, I mean, I guess this is the like kind of hypnosis that this book lures you into is that I cannot. I, I genuinely don't know when things are brought up, if I've already heard about them or if I will hear about them. Yes. You know? Uh, yes, I know. Uh, especially also the way that we are doing this, which is reading it slowly over the course of three. No, years. <laughs> you, you, you would be, uh, you would be forgiven, um, uh, on that. Sorry, I, I literally just looked up. Is it illegal to? Is it legal to run football pool? Apparently, Super Bowl pools are not legal in New York. Really? Yeah. Private Super Bowl pools? Yeah. Big, classic big government overreach I coming ha- in and I telling me how cut, I can I gamble with my this. closest friends. I might have to cut that from the, the podcast. Don't post this automatically. I, w- I am going to. No, it's no, fine. you are not. not. It's fine. No. It's fine. I'm cutting it out. No, it's fine. I'm, de- I'm dead ass serious. I'm going to cut I've it out. I've never edited a single one of these episodes. I will. Uh, then you will never need to. I will do it. Anyway, um, wh- what else is there to say? Uh, Don, he's be- beating up the bouncer with the other bouncer. The beating up the bouncer with the other bouncer is very um, funny. Don, Don is capable, as we see, you know, talking about his his rage that completely overtakes him. 
you see that obviously when he fights the the Nux, uh mm-hmm. it, on behalf of Randy Lenz is that he just like basically blacks out and becomes very very good at extreme effective uh, yeah, violence violence yeah. and to me that of course that has to be the build up from watching his mom get her ass kicked yes. every day for years sure yes and then it's like finally it expresses and you know football was obviously like a, a way to port yes. that rage because football is controlled violence violence with rules yes and then once that gets taken away all bets are all bets are I off. mean we determined previously that in in my cosmology of stories uh you know about that all stories are effectively either about beating up your dad or finding a new dad yeah that this is infinite justice very much one about beating up your dad yeah and fi- and finding a new dad who's the new dad well you know uh, the crocodile is your, is your sponsor your new dad yeah but i'm saying like if you have to choose one oh this is about ha- oh fighting yes your, fighting it's about your fighting dad. your dad yes. you're right yeah and we do have to choose one. Yes. We will you choose have one. To, you have to choose one. All stories are either fighting your dad or finding a new dad. And this one is ultimately about fighting your dad, I believe. Uh, the Bible is about fighting your dad. And then religion, Christianity is about finding, finding a, new a new dad. dad yes. Jesus Christ. He is your father. Oh, he's, a, he's your friend also. He is your God friend. is your dad and Jesus is your friend. <laughs> That's how that works, right? Yes. Yeah. Um. Anything else? Uh. No. I mean, we're getting co- close to the end, so we have we'll have to figure out our full official casting of uh mm. of Infinite Jest. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we're on our last the last spread uh page of footnotes or of uh, notes. That's crazy. Yes. Wild. <laughs> they're what? They're only like a, a dozen footnotes left, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Made those footnotes our bitch. Yes. Um. It's gonna be bizarre to finish this. I know. What are we? What are we, we ever to going out, to do? I don't know. What are we <laughs> going to do on Saturday? Saturday mornings from now on. We'll have to. We'll t- We'll take a little hiatus and then we'll. It's we'll funny come that back. I've been watching. We've been watching tennis in silent uh, while we've been doing this for years now, and mm-hmm. I have not absorbed a single thing about what is going on in the world of professional tennis. Uh, yeah. I, I know some of the guys' names, but I've never clocked whether any individual person has won or lost a match. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not know <laughs> who is better than anyone. Yeah. Uh, I who's the best tennis player in the world right now? I have no idea. Federer retired, so it's and Tsitsipas. What is Tsitsipas? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the names that we keep seeing come up over and over again. Hey Siri, who's the number one ranked tennis player in the world? Djokovic. Djokovic. I'm going to become the Djokovic. Yeah. Damn. He must be happy Federer is is off the yes off the the plate. We should maybe just as a stopgap. We should I I do want to do a supposedly fun thing. Uh, I'll never do again, and maybe a couple other like of the essays. The essays, but we don't have to eat, lobster. eat the the day of Simba, of Simba, the por- the porn one, the big red sun, big red big red sun. Yeah. yeah, I believe that's the porn one. Yeah, uh, up Simba is of course. Um, John McCain. R.I.P. Uh, David Foster Wallace, you would have hated OnlyFans? There is so much for him he, to to go off on right now. God, OnlyFans is so... We don't need to get into OnlyFans, but it, it is just interesting that that has come at the perfect time, which is basically that you can no longer make money doing porn. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, there's not... there's You can't make money doing produced porn. There's like a very, very small amount of performers who can do that. And then otherwise, yeah. you basically just have to run your own one one person porn business. Yes. Um, creating a parasocial relationship. 
maintaining a parasocial relationship. Did you see that thing? Somebody was uh, comparing this to Infinite Jest. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so there's that been that thing going around this week that's the AI Seinfeld, the Infinite yes. Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw somebody writing about that uh, that was basically like, the idea would be eventually to create an AI-influenced sitcom that runs perpetually that has at least, and I found this very curious uh-huh. and telling, they said Netflix quality. Okay. So, like, something that you would basically be a perpetual sitcom, constantly running, yeah. that wasn't great, but it was at least good enough to be on Netflix. And what? that you could tune into 24 hours a day, seven days a week forever. I mean, is that, that's the real infinite jest, right? Right. It's not, it's not the uh, addiction. It's the perpetual creation. Yes. Because unfortunately people die and then you can't make any more stuff. And AI uh, poses the question, what if you could? Yes. Uh, and the thing is, is that even if it was bad, I could imagine people becoming incredibly addicted to it and being like, I need to watch, I need I need to watch it always, but you couldn't watch mm-hmm. it always. You could never catch up with it because even if you were mm-hmm. catching up with it, it would still be going. But it would it would, drive it would inevitably insane. repeat itself in, you know, small but crucial ways, similar to actual sitcoms of like there are people who are certain types of people and they do certain types of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there'd be one thing where, ah, I spilled my hamburger all over myself and then it would be a hot dog in a different scene. Yeah, I guess. Ah, oh, Molly, she's always spilling various foods. Yes. Uh, that seems but she very... spilled it on her SAT test, and now she can't uh, go, to go to college. She's never going to get into Phillips Andover. She'll never get into... <laughs> uh, if you listen to this and you go to boarding school and, you and, we, got boarding it, school. and we got it wrong, uh, we apologize. Uh, I, I, I would be shocked if anybody who listens to this who went to a boarding school would disagree with the statement. <laughs> Kids who go to boarding school are like some of the most fucked up teenagers that you will ever meet. <laughs> No, it's just a, it's a perfect way to, to learn uh, pathologizing, uh, um, you know, uh, s- secret hidden things. Yes. Uh, you should, it just, you should it, be in a dorm room as a, as a 16 year old. You, it, you need a room that your parents can kind of hear what you're doing. And if you sneak out, mm-hmm. you'll get caught. It's just so funny. It seems because it's both so expensive, so high class, but also so marvelously uh, naive where you're just like a very rich East Coast person. And you're and you're like, hmm. I would. Lo- I think that my son should become a drug addict. I'm mm-hmm. going to send him to boarding school. Right with all with all of the you know he can net he can network with all the other drug addicts. Yes, um, totally. You know what would be good for young Anthony if he became a drug addict at age 16. <laughs> I think that will be great for his college. They have a, they have the trivium quadrivium uh, uh, <laughs> educational format there. He'll be reading a uh, a uh, Dante and, and Socrates. Uh, yeah, Socrates. <laughs> Socrates. Oh. Uh with with a roommate from the Berkshires who who is His ma- father been, runs... who's been making meth since he was eleven. <laughs> His father is a vice president of uh, mergers and acquisitions at uh Goldman Goldman uh, blah blah blah. Yeah. No, it's good for the it's good for kids. It's good. Yeah. Uh, yes. We love it. You should have access. Or just play tennis uh, nine hours a day. Yes. You gotta, you gotta give yourself away to something. Why not to the rich tradition of Phillips Andover? Uh, sh- hit us up if you went to Phillips Andover to let us know if we if we've got it right. Maybe you had a teacher who really um made you think. Maybe inducted you into some kind of dead poet society ah. or something. All right, should we call it for today? We should. And that's fifty one minutes. Bye. Okay, bye.